0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the How Not Podcast. Ah! We can't remember what episode, well, I can't remember what episode we're on, um, which is a good thing because it just shows like how much incredible, incredible content we're creating. That's right. Um, And, sorry, the scurrying mice... (laughs) In the Priscilla Palace today. We are back. Kim, how are you doing?
1: Um, I'm very good, thank you. It's nice to be back. It's like coming home. Coming home. Um, How are you?
0: I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I'm all right. I'm enjoying one of my days off. Mm -hmm. I guess this is an opportune moment to say she has a job. She's employed.
1: Working for the man.
0: Working for the man. The big bad man. Um, Yeah, I now work three days a week in hospitality. RIP, me um no it's great actually i work at pavilion a staple of east london um coffee shop bakery um they have three sites one in vicky park in the pavilion mm-hmm. one in fucking hell, I'm like advertising i manager, like it this is amazing one yeah. in columbia road and one in broadway market you can find me in broadway market come by have some dal lovely um sourdough bread uh-huh. coffee um, so yeah, on my days off, I'm doing things. I was actually making some club tunes today, in the in the studs in the studio. You're just the
1: coolest person. <laughs> um, aren't you? It
0: makes it makes it sound like it, but you know, <laughs> based on our conversation just <laughs> moments ago, that I'm actually a fucking mess. Um, just like the rest of us. As you
1: cool stuff to like um, fill a little summary, then it's fine. I
0: mean, I'm I'm like you know those seesaws in the kids' play park. Mm-hmm just kind of uh, one of them to be honest i actually think i'm yeah i identify now as a seesaw
1: okay then now that's your pronoun seesaw <laughs> <laughs> see or so <saw. laughs> ah,
0: that's very me very that very on brand how are you
1: i'm good um for the first time to yeah for the first time i at a traffic light so in my car With my window down at a red light, I got chatted up by someone in another car with their window down. Which I thought, that's you got to be focused going into that because how long is a red light there for? I don't know. A minute, less? Underprepared.
0: Oh, shit, really?
1: Yeah, underprepared. Yeah,
0: you need to know your different time limits of lights. yeah so like you could have your little like one liner yeah it's about to go amber. that's right you could have your midway like oh we might be stuck here for a wee while that's right or you could have your whole fucking spiel like we're in a jam
1: and i think it was just yeah it wasn't it wasn't tight enough um repeated a question oh and in, in sort of panic and i was like so it's over like you, you fucked it um and it that story is rounded off by the fact that I was on my way to get stuff to try and make my dog do a poop because Brilliant. Um, she, is, she is sore back leg, so she can't poop. Um, so it was all a very interesting sort of 20 minute experience. Wow. Um, There's a
0: lot to unpack there.
1: Yeah, but well done, I would say, to them for having, think a, go, hot, like, having a go. I
0: that was quite a hot like, rolling up to the red light, ready to fuck.
1: Yeah, but it just first reference was to a Disney film.
0: Oh, maybe not. Then you were kinda asking person.
1: how I was, then I answered and then saying, So how are how you? Are you? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Whoa. We've um, got we've got a live one. <laughs> wow. But anyway, hey, how are you, Kim? But I am fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine, I think. Um yeah, so that was nice. Thanks for thanks for that. Um I guess.
0: I realised the other big thing that I did today. Mm. I started Duolingo.
1: Which language?
0: German. Hello. <laughs>
1: we said it so like sheepishly. German. Well Okay. So. so I have this
0: so I oh I can't believe I'm saying this. So basically, I'm I've been thinking about my autumn winter twenty one vibe. Okay. And it's gonna be German. Well, no, it's gonna be been chatting to some folk about. Well, I've been chatting to my mate Andrea at work, right? She's an art. Okay, I love her. And I was describing what I wanted my autumn winter to be like, and every time someone came in with that kind of vibe, I'd point it out to her and be like, "That." That's, that's what the I one. Want. Okay. And it's basically a lot of black. You know, we're talking leather trenches. We're talking um maybe like chunky jewelry Mm -hmm. very black very queer sure um a bit goth a bit punk very sexy Mm -hmm. and then she was like very berlin sure yeah and I i was like right problem i've never been to berlin yeah and like everybody that i say this to she was like you need to sort your life out also like you you as in you should have done this berlin thing and yeah it's waiting for you you know yeah it's waiting for you you know you'll never come back you'll love it so i was like fuck this i'm i also want to go by myself that's my my goal you know this already yeah so i was like but i don't want to go and be like hi i'm from glasgow i want to go and like be able to chat people up and fucking be cultured
1: yeah yeah,
0: yeah. so today i was like fuck it i'm starting duolingo i'm learning german great So
1: so what do you know so far?
0: Um bitte is please. Lovely. Um and cafe oh, I can't remember how to say and it's like on like und. and und. Mm-hmm. so cafe und milk milksh milksh milk milksh, milksh, milksh. Mm-hmm. is like coffee and milk. Mm-hmm. And then bitte is please and that hello is hello. <laughs> and god,
1: i tell you you're flying
0: uh listen this was th- i completed the first lesson
1: maybe this person that chatted me up was doing duolingo and it was their first day as well and <laughs> english wasn't their first language
0: listen <laughs> i hope that was the excuse uh, anyway I'll, I'll update you all on how it's going maybe i'll start doing the podcast introductions in german because oh. i can really fucking do them in english yeah um, schön is
1: how you say thanks very much that's schön. yeah
0: well danke schön and bitte schön. that's right see look at me go oh my god um, Vigets, you good?
1: Yeah, Mirgets, good.
0: Um, this I actually learned from my pal Johanna. Do you know Johanna? No. Violin her. Um, she's sick, but she, I did this call out when I was going to Austria for that gig and was like, Who can teach me some stuff in German? Because I don't want to seem like an uncultured little fuck from the UK. Um, and she taught me some stuff. So Vigets was one of those things. Right. So I just went on say stage and went, Vigets! And,
1: and they, uh, they, they
0: erupted. Yep. They, yeah, they erupted it was neither good nor bad but (laughs) it was an eruption all the same Um, much like my sex life anyway (laughs) moving on who are we talking about today oh
1: great segue as ever um well this you tell me because this was your pick Mm. this week
0: it was actually and i think again just someone that from the start i've always thought we should give a little nod to and i think the thing about this person is It's one of the, we're very good at choosing people that are just so fucking monumental. Yes. And so vast in their influence and, and legacy. Mm -hmm. It's always hard to cover everything. So I I just, you know, straight up, it's just going to be like, whatever it is. And and I hope that this just inspires people to go and explore. Yeah, it's a stepping stone of adventure. Yeah. And the person that I want to talk about this week is the James Baldwin.
1: James Baldwin. Um, tell me about, who's your James Baldwin?
0: Well, this is actually what I was thinking of because it's a classic Kim question. And <laughs> and I think this is what's beautiful about James Baldwin is, you know, everyone has their own attachment to James Baldwin and mm-hmm. how they arrive at um, kind of being introduced to his work and and who he is yeah and i think for me james baldwin is just someone that is fierce Mm -hmm. unapologetic unashamed yep like for someone that used shame in their art Mm -hmm. and then their writing in such a a beautifully kind of real way yep the, uh, themselves as a as a person you are him as a person when you hear him speak there's such ferocity and such unashamed um telling of like rea- of of truth yeah absolutely and 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 i love that yeah and just fucking cool as fuck like cool as fuck definitely surrounded what well, orbited in such a beautiful world of of people and the, uh, his writing I, I just don't know how to say how much his writing is like perfect
1: yeah because um, we talked i can't remember even which episode we talked about one of his novels didn't we we just, spoke about giovanni's room yeah cause you've just you just I read, read it, I it fairly think. recently yeah. yeah
0: yeah i think like, let's talk about giovanni's room um i mean was that what got you into baldwin or like was that
1: no so i'd i'd read I guess more of his like, essays than i dread read his right. novels. Um I guess that so he he I guess is interesting because he kind of is part of our official training world in that we studied jazz and he mm. is really was in that world, you know, like friends with Miles and yeah. you know, with Ray Charles and Nina yeah, Simone, Simone and all those people. Um there was, there's reference, he's um, referenced in the Miles autobiography as someone, you know, um, yes, kind of, well, there's a lot of people referenced in that autobiography, not always positive, but that one is a kind of nice nod to James Baldwin. And then, yeah, so I'd read more of his essays and then I have a very long to read list and Giovanni's room was on there and um, I got it for think i got it for my birthday um but it is just perfect it is and it's small i guess it's a novella you can definitely like read it very quickly but it's like it's quite devastating actually
0: yeah yeah i think it's, it's um i'd i'd kind of done the reverse right to you i read giovanni's room first right and only like recently like in the past few days that i i picked up i had I'd a book of three essays sure um and i just read them in the past few days um but yeah i agree it is devastating yeah and it's really interesting like i my setting for reading giovanni's room was like january february time this year we were in lockdown yeah it wasn't a particularly happy time for me i was quite I was having all my voice problems. Yeah, yeah. I was quite depressed, um, and I kind of found solace in the dev the 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 devastating setting of Baldwin's yeah. writing because because I quite like when I am experiencing something to just go fuck it. I might as well immerse myself in feel this. those, you know, those feelings f- rather than pretend that everything's fine. Yeah, and I vividly remember. I think I finished it on Valentine's Day. Oh
1: Jesus
0: because and this is me being a classic like you know over romanticizing my melancholy you know but i was <laughs> like i let, went to sainsbury's the big sainsbury's in Whitechapel, which is quite an iconic which is a romantic of, setting yeah yeah bought myself some flowers right good which i actually did is like because i just fucking love flowers yeah. and on valentine's day you know that i think they're on a deal or something so i bought myself some flowers And I finished Giovanni's room and sat in myself and I had a fucking bowl. But that was my kind of setting for finishing that book. It was really (laughs) intense, right? But I just wanted to share that because that was my setting. But I think as a book, it's quite interesting because it's like, it kind of like deals with, in one sense, it's meant to be this like antidote to shame because it's like, Baldwin, at the time of writing, is writing this queer love story, right? Yeah.
1: And remember, like, that this has been written in the 50s. Yeah.
0: Like, like it's fully, like...
1: This is, like, groundbreaking, radical right? to be voicing
0: that. A black queer writer, like, very, very... And I don't mean that, right? I'm just going to say this now. Whenever I reference James Baldwin as a black queer icon, it's he's so much more than that yeah right yeah, yeah and and he is James Baldwin and he is a human being with an incredible heart and energy and spirit and legacy and and I hate that we still have to say that yeah. these labels meant he was radical and True. one of few right but it is important to recognize I guess the setting in which this book was written and 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 it's so honest and uh, and and like raw and it, you know it is not smoke and mirrored.
1: It's not, and it's not. It's also not kind of over-sensationalised. It's, like, yeah. really quiet. Yeah. So there's something that's just, like, it kind of hits you, kind of blindsides you because you're just, like, thrown into this. It's, like... Well, it, right from the start, I yeah. think
0: I was reading, like, an analysis of it by another author who was really inspired by it, and it, it, it was really interesting because they actually spoke about the structure and form of it being something that was really interesting, like, because without giving too much away like Baldwin decides to start the book like like straight away with like the main the the big finale that's right you know straight away yeah that this character has found themselves in x a place under x circumstances yeah and that then gives him freedom to change up the time and place consistently throughout the book and and then it's almost like you're just watching this slow you know there's not much plot actually no exactly and you're just you're like a fly on the wall for these kind of moments and
1: as you i think as you go through the book all that's happening is the the camera's sort of pulling out so you see more of the more and more of the picture and i actually really like that there's some i think there's a real pressure that goes with um a kind of narrative that builds to a big climax Mm. because there's a real pressure to like keep it on that momentum yeah and sometimes it can feel like a distraction to to add in subplots or to add in anything else you just there's a kind of anticipation that might overtake you but the fact that you take that away immediately by going here's here's the end (laughs) here's the end yeah and now let's see how we it takes
0: real courage and and it puts him in control straight away yeah of of the the story and it means you focus on different things like you focus on for me, the characters have such. You don't. I didn't really like anyone. Right. And, and that's that was an interesting a thing. a really interesting it? thing. Yeah. Like, I, I resonated with bits of yeah. everyone and I felt for everyone at different points in the book, but nobody was likable. Nobody and was the hero. No, which and was really refreshing, I think, you know? Because that's
1: what life is, yeah, right? Yeah, it's
0: so honest. Yes, yeah. Like, because you have, like, Giovanni represents. That you know he's not shameful. No, he's like the almost shaken off his shackles and is just like seen to be living his truth. Yet, look, it doesn't seem to be. I mean, his fate in the book is is the worst of them all. I yeah, guess. he's he is um,
1: a chaotic figure, right? Definitely. Really
0: chaotic, but rid of shame in some way. Yeah, um, in terms of sexuality, and then like David, the central character is absolutely riddled with it yeah like is says quite repulsive things about people in the book like about there's there's this passage i can't remember it but about um like effeminate men or like cross dressers and he's like really like you know really nasty about them and like cannot come to terms with his own sexuality really but yet finds himself super wrapped up in this thing and like he there's this real interesting thing about both masculinity and american identity that he represents of like, because baldwin talks in his essays a lot about american identity and how fucked it is and like he says this amazing thing like you know white america was never really white like america yeah. was never white you know and this whole thing about the american dream and it's all bullshit and like whatever but i think this whole idea that like he's david's this american that's left home and he speaks about you know once you've left you can never really go back to what you knew as home and like he's so lost in his own identity yeah both in terms of culture and 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 place and sexuality and like he's just super like he he just can't he's just terrified he's just terrified
1: he's terrified of the the strength of his feelings right yeah it's like it just paralyses them completely yeah. but there's like there's self-hatred and there's also that terror kind of manifested hating other people as well yeah
0: like are the other figures in the book who yeah. are you have these like two older gay men who are like quite almost like philanthropic or I don't know quite like well not really there's more a, like
1: th- th- yeah it's
0: kind of like bohemian kind of like s- take advantage of a lot of younger men i suppose yeah with i guess their it's wealth and
1: it's quite a complex character but one that i think is quite instantly recognizable yeah
0: that's what i was thinking yeah like an
1: older man an older gay man who is drawn to have kind of fostering these relationships with much younger men and there's an of element of like kind of paternal sort of yeah. pastoral care and then there's this real there's a conflict though with the kind of sexuality there's also a thing i think that really struck me with, with those characters is that they were real. There was an act they put on a front, but they yeah. were incredibly self-aware about their own sort of tragedy. And they kind of knew because obviously they, they were, they were pursuing much younger men and not always being successful. Yeah. Also there was this kind of dance they were doing where everyone knew there was mutual, kind of selfishness that everyone was using each other for something yes and everyone knew it and there was this like we'll we'll put up enough of a front to kind of be acceptable but we all kind of know what's going on here yeah well
0: one of the lines from the book that Jacques, one of those men says is nobody can stay in the garden of eden yeah and and there's a few times where he, he kind of says you know to to david like accept your fate yeah you're a part of this yeah and you can sit there and look down on us and think it's all right. CD and blah blah blah, but you're part of this. That's and right. You yeah. no better than any of us, and that kind of attitude. And I, and yeah, it's almost like they'd accepted their their place that society tells them. You yeah. Know?
1: But there's a one of the interviews that I I found because I I read his last interview, um, and one of the others that I found as a result was one that. Um, so he did there's quite a famous interview in the new york review of the new york times book review in the 80s um and someone read um that interview and felt like there was lots of things about i guess two of the big themes of his work being race and class lots of yeah. discussion about that but there was no reference to The other big theme, which is sexuality and homosexuality. And he said he felt he was part of a generation, part of a group of people for whom James Baldwin was a massive figure in terms of uh, gay culture. Right. And so he then went and looked and couldn't really find any discussions uh, with James Baldwin about that. So he decided to conduct this interview with James Baldwin um, and kind of laid out from the start... Um, I really want this to be about sexuality, you know. Um, it's the in- the interview's called uh, "Go the Way Your Blood Beats," and it's really interesting because James Baldwin is is very uncomfortable with a lot of, like, doesn't like the word. He said he didn't like the word "gay." He said he didn't like this kind of group oriented, sort of tribal nature of gay culture. Mm. Um, he said that, di- that didn't figure, he didn't recognise that in any part of his life. So didn't want to be part of it. Kind of was someone who didn't really want to be part of groups anyway. Um, he said that, because the, the interviewer asked the question, well, it's a, it was a very brave thing to have Giovanni's Room be your second novel in the 50s. Um, and he said, Baldwin says, it's. N- he said, it's to me that book's about what happens if you're frightened to love um to me that's a far more interesting question than homosexuality yeah um which i think yeah he's totally right and he, but he says um he took the book to the publishers and they they said you shouldn't have written that he said they said you're uh you're a black writer with a certain audience and you have a kind of responsibility to that audience and this book will wreck your career so as a favor to you we're not going to publish it because we're saving you from yourself, um. So he he took it to England and got it published here, um. But there's something. I think he's like a really, I don't know how to describe this. He's like a very hesitant, kind of reluctant, almost like regretful hero in a way. He d- he doesn't yes, talk exactly. about himself as like a trailblazer yeah, or whatever. Absolutely. For him, he said like. It was like life or death. I didn't yeah. do this for anyone else. I didn't do this to kind of liberate um, the gay world. I did this for for myself. He said, if I didn't write this book, I couldn't have written anything else. There's something really interesting about, because I think we're so used to kind of reading about people celebrating their identity, celebrating their sexuality. We're in the phase of the world now where we're really trying to encourage that and kind of, remove shame and taboo around sex so it's quite interesting to hear someone push against that yeah Um, but like you said before not in a way that he's not ashamed of who he is at all but for him it's not but i about that
0: i think this is just a really interesting thing that is is great and can coexist like what i try and think about a lot is like how much the parts that make up who you are influence the art you create and Mm -hmm. the beautiful thing is you have autonomy over that for some people at some times in their life that is going to be like wearing lots of badges of honor and 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 full throttle putting that into everything they create very viscerally and very you know at the forefront of everything they do and at other times in their life or for other artists it might not be so um So explicit, Mm -hmm. but of course, the nature of who they are and the lens through which they see the world is going to inform the stuff they create. Yeah, so absolutely, like that book is undoubtedly informed by James Baldwin's experience of the world, and the fact that he had the courage to live his truth in that way inspires us all, and that's why we look at him as an icon of our community. That doesn't mean that of course he wasn't like i am doing this because i am yeah. gay and you know it's not about that like ultimately it's just a fucking great piece of writing Absolutely. and a great piece of art yeah but without a doubt you know you need to understand the context in which it occurred and and the the human being which it came from yeah and he's just a pretty incredible human being definitely like I, i'm sorry a straight white man at that time would never have written that book no because way because you look at the books around that time they were far more so they're the ones on the school curriculums that are far yeah. more successful, but they're boring as fuck compared to Giovanni. Absolutely, so I know. I get because you—he is someone that actively rejects these kind of icon status and whatever, and yeah. and that's part of why he's so incredible. Is that he is, you know, he's purely living his truth. But yeah. of course, it's about the way in which you see the world, and that informs what you create. Definitely, and, and that's the way he saw the world. Because
1: he said the, the interviewer says. Kind of tries to sum up what his position is and says, "Okay, so you'll you'll always come forward and make the statement that you're homosexual. You're ne- you you won't ever hide it or deny it, but you refuse to make a life out of it." And Baldwin says, "Yeah, that's that's pretty much that's a good kind of summation." He says, "You know, the people that I've had love affairs with wouldn't identify with the word gay," um, and I get it, some of it is interesting because it is kind of semantics, but there's this other thing but which. The- is like really devastating where he says, um, Loving anybody and being loved by anybody is a tremendous danger and a tremendous responsibility. Yeah. Oh. The terrors homosexuals go through in this society would not be so great if the society itself didn't go through so many terrors, which it doesn't want to admit. The discovery of one's sexual preference doesn't have to be a trauma, it's a trauma because it's such a traumatized society. And I was like, I mean, that's, that's extraordinary, you know, and he's totally right. And that's, I think a lot of, well, that trauma is part of his life's work.
0: Exactly. And like, we don't know how James Baldwin would, one, how he would exist today, but also how he would feel about everything that we've just talked about Mm -hmm. in today's society. And obviously there's still a huge amount of trauma and shame growing up queer in today's society. But, you know, it's interesting when we look back at even folk that were openly like lgbt plus but yet carried a lot of internal um contradiction or what can be viewed as like distancing themselves from any sense of community and we don't know what's at play there yeah that might just be how they feel but like also like there's such hangover um of like the the society in which they were living in. So to me it's not surprising that James Baldwin didn't want to be like a flag yielding like like was was, was very principled as a human being and very assured about who he was definitely. and his homosexuality was definitely a part of him. But him actively going, but it doesn't define me, but it yeah. doesn't define me, but it doesn't define me is a valid reaction to the society in which he was living totally. in. And, you know, doesn't make how many less of a queer icon in my eyes? You know, it's all one. You know, and,
1: uh, there's, I mean, the there's a lot of tension as well because I mean, Martin Luther King actively distanced himself mm. from James Baldwin because he was openly gay. Mm. The Civil Rights Movement was not a happy place. Right. Was not a celebrated place for people to be gay. There was two out men in the Civil Rights Movement. One of them being James Baldwin, and they were kind of prevented from being. In the kind of inner circle, for exactly that reason, there's an extraordinary bravery for him to, you know, he, like like the interviewer said, there's no denial, there is no hiding. It doesn't define my whole self, but it's part of it, and to just exist in that way because he was a seminal, incredibly vital figure in the civil rights oh fight my as gosh, well. Yeah, um, but just
0: going back quickly as well to what you said about, I, I mean, we're forgetting this is a person with his own complex relationship with sexuality and love affairs and whatever and like at one point you know one of his essays the price of the ticket he speaks about a friend who he lost who he kind of once loved and kind of potentially could have been loved by but says but I was to hurt a great many people by being unable to imagine that anyone could possibly be in love with an ugly boy like me yeah So that, in a nutshell, shows like we all have our flaws and our insecurities and it humanizes them, but it also goes to show that, of course, he's not going to stand up in 1950s America as a black man and a huge pillar of the black community and be at one with his own queerness.
1: No, exactly, yeah.
0: What he did uh, enough was... Absolutely groundbreaking. Yeah. So the fact that he's not a hundred percent wanting to wear his pride badge out every single day and have his work labeled as gay art. Yeah. At that time, in interviews, is is to me quite understandable.
1: Definitely. I mean, the fact that, like, it can't be understated. It can't be overstated. It can definitely be understated. Um, that that book came out in the fifties.
0: Yeah, and and also like, it's undoubtedly. A queer novel, like yeah. right, like of course it's about the 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 terrified being terrified to love, right? Yeah, but it's queer as fuck. Like it's que- Baldwin is queer as fuck. Like yeah, he, he fucking he was a massive lefty. He wrote poems <laughs> for fuck's sake. Yeah, absolutely, like, you know, like yeah. it, it, He like embodies what we know today as queerness, and yes. it's only now that we have the hindsight and the vocabulary to understand and to contextualize and. I think just yeah it's it's, it it's quite baffling to try and get your head around how someone could navigate in such a way like like so openly at at that time like you know and just yeah it's just amazing what he managed to how strong he managed to stay within himself
1: and he really was a solitary figure like he 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 really makes it clear in every in every way that he wasn't interested in being part of groups wasn't interested in being part of tribes was felt like he was on his own felt like he was a witness to the world and his job well his calling was to write about it and that was it obviously had a lot of trouble accepting and loving who he was found it hard Mm. to imagine other people loving him had quite tense relationships with a lot of people um because he was very certain and sure of himself you know there's quite a lot of like um i notice a lot of interviewers being quite clear in trying to they'll say oh, what do you think of this person what do you yeah. think of this person because he wouldn't shy away from or he, w- he would he had really complex relationships like with tony morrison who wrote this beautiful eulogy for him when he died mm. but that wasn't a a shiny shiny there's no problems here relationship no
0: and and it, but he embodies the the beautiful messiness and complexity totally. of being a human being he does that, that is fiercely themselves yeah absolutely and like even like oh my god like the opening line actually of the price of the ticket is my soul looks back and wonders how i got over yeah you know like because literally like the level when you read his essays it's just so eloquent like i mean i will never be able to understand how it feels to be black right yeah and reading baldwin's essays like it's just like such a like it hits you right between the eyes and in the heart of like a human experience that i will never have to like that i will never have put on to me but like that i feel so much rage about like Mm -hmm. it's just like and and obviously there's a lot of people around now that are writing, to, well, because Baldwin inspired so much. I mean, like Maya Angelou like, cites Baldwin yeah. as a major inspiration for I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings and yep. whatever, but like, honestly, just those essays, it's like fucking hell, like, you know, it's like, he just calls it out. He yeah. just calls it out. He's like, there was not then, and nor is there now a single institution in America that is not racist. That like, He talks about education and like, like there's this quote in dark days he's like the educational system of this country is in short designed to destroy the black child it does not matter whether it destroys him by stoning him in the ghetto or by driving him mad in the isolation of harvard yeah and it's like he just was like as you say like saw it as his calling to just narrate the experience of the people that he knew and of the people in the world around him and and he did it with such eloquence and such grace but such beautiful ferocity that's definitely. how I want to describe it because I don't want to say anger or play into stereotypes but yep. I, but rightful rage oh absolutely beautiful rage
1: yeah yeah definitely he was it's a really interesting sort of mix of of a of a really beautiful kind of author and a sort of investigative journalist almost yeah yeah we wrote
0: loads of articles and essays and
1: but his if you if you knew nothing of the civil rights fight and the sort of political landscape of the us in the 50s and 60s and 70s if you knew nothing of and read nothing before or since but read all of james baldwin it would be an extraordinary like window into that world yeah 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 um and and it's it's really interesting you know like he he wrote to something that is good i think it's really great is he was celebrated within his time he he experienced what it was to be recognized mm. um in his life like so many people do not have the pleasure of experiencing um and he said you know and obviously with that comes a lot of difficulty but you know he was on the front cover of Time magazine. He was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is amazing in in and of itself. But he he wrote to um, Robert F. Kennedy and he did, yeah. and and kind of called out, you know, that the 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 administration wasn't doing what it should be doing in its role to address the civil rights movement. And as a result and of that, they met with him. They met twice. Yeah. Now that shows an incredible kind of recognition of importance that someone like um, Baldwin had to be listened to. Yeah. Um. And I think there was someone who was in, was part of with well, the second time they met came away saying everyone was really sort of devastated. And I don't think it was like, right, we've solved that now. Bye. But the fact that it was even recognized now, can you imagine an equivalent happening today on, it someone writing to Boris Johnson and saying your administration isn't doing enough to address this issue and them saying okay well why don't you come and we'll discuss it.
0: And bring, bring the members of your community, that's you know right. like bring a bunch yeah. of people for us yeah. to listen to let's talk about this. You're so right actually that's such a good observation because I was aware that he'd written to Kennedy and that they'd met and, mm. and although that everything wasn't suddenly rosy like I was aware that was quite a pivotal thing and like You're so right. Like even fast forward to today's context and I'd have no hope in fucking hell that that would happen. No, no. So yeah, I mean, he was a radical for sure. Definitely. But yet because of his eloquence and his ability to articulate himself, he was taken seriously Mm -hmm. by white people in power.
1: Right. And I think that's the thing. I think that's also a really interesting sort of inner kind of struggle for him. He, He talks about, well, the fact he grew up So he grew up in Harlem, um, born in the 20s. Um, Said he recognised that really there were, there was two parts of Harlem Mm. kind of divided by, you know, kind of socioeconomic status. Um, And said kind of as a result, he was drawn more to the writings of like Richard Wright than he was to like Langston Hughes, to other black writers. Um, Again, as a kind of class divide almost. Um, but recognises really clearly that in order for black people to be taken seriously, you have to ascend to the middle class. You have mm. to be educated and you have to speak a certain way and present a certain way, um, which I think is still very much the case. So well, much class baggage comes with all this of
0: that. this whole argument that we keep going back to. Of, like, I I don't mean to compare, but it's like, like class. Well, Baldwin is such a great example of an intersectional being where like you know politics class like race and sexuality like all kind of are bubbling away in this beautiful venn diagram of what he represented but i think it's like yeah to assimilate into Mm -hmm. society's idea of like what makes you worthy of being listened to
1: yeah and, there's and a, you
0: need to display essentially the characteristics of the white middle class in order to be taken seriously.
1: And there's a tension there is that um, anyone who's kind of involved in any activism, be that kind of formal or just in decisions you make in your life to make a stand on anything, there is a tension and a potential kind of guilt or shame around assimilation mm. because um, there's a kind of complicitness to you know, the, the the idea of kind of being part of a system in order to have a yeah. voice to break it down yeah, 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 um, yeah. is not without its uh, tricky edges. Yeah. Um, and I think part of the kind of protective shield that he had around him, by being really, really explicit that he spoke for no one but himself, that he was not a representative of any community apart from the community of one, which was him, is the protection that lots of people would look to him to be a leader yeah. and be very cross if he stepped out of Put what they felt. Wrong. Yeah, exactly.
0: exactly. And and I have great admiration for that, you know, yeah. because I think by taking that stance, uh, he was able to reach and resonate with far more people than, definitely, you know, would have been wrapped up in calling him out for blah 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 yeah. x y and z. You know, yeah. Like but we need to understand that human beings are complex, contradictory. They're not here to please us all the time, and it we we can have nuanced differences in conversations, and like each individual has their own unique experience of life. And like once you realize that, and everyone's speaking for themselves, but you can stand side by side mm-hmm. and That's hand right. in hand, but yeah. speak for yourself.
1: I think it's a really um it's a marker of an incredible kind of strength um to be in the position that he was in to be part of the civil rights movement but to feel um publicly and very clearly that the leaders of that movement were pushing him away because of who he was mm. um and to to still show up to still be part of marches he you know he was like there's a this really lovely kind of very famous photograph of him and Marlon Brando um, in the march that they did in Washington and he was kind of uh, kind of supposed to be talking at the end and was kind of denied the right to talk because he was, you know, he was part of the kind of inner circle. An extraordinary strength that comes from recognising that um, the fight is bigger than than he is and he's not just going to push back because someone's saying I don't like you for which is a um, is a, I find a very ugly quality Mm. and but it doesn't negate the fact that that was an incredibly important movement. But I also wouldn't blame someone for being like, okay, well then, yeah. fuck off. Yeah. Like, there's no there's no shame in that at all. But amazing strength to be... Well, they to lived
0: together for like 10 years. And I wonder if they simply lived together. You know? Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Dot, dot, dot. You heard it
1: here first. <laughs>
0: you heard it here first.
1: Um. Yeah, I think there's like there is so much. Uh, I think every time you read an essay or one of his novels, you I find myself wanting to write down almost every sentence I read. Th-
0: th- this is the thing. I'm looking at my notes and I'm like, fucking out. Like honestly, like it's this is what I wanted to inspire. I need to take a breath because it it was so weighty trying yeah. to do this, and all I want this to do is inspire you to go on your own James Baldwin journey mm-hmm. and and resonate with him on you in in a personal way you know because trying to cover everything it's like you literally just want to sit and read out everything i mean there was some there is some beautiful things so there's an instagram account called at james baldwin archive mm-hmm. and it's so so good i would recommend 10 out of 10 and they posted a beautiful thing that quoted you know um 1971 An open letter to my sister, Miss Angela Davis, just Mm -hmm. on the topic of civil rights movement, right? We must do what we can do and fortify and save each other. We are not drowning in an apathetic self-contempt. We do feel ourselves sufficiently worthwhile to contend even with inexorable forces in order to change our fate and the fate of our children and the condition of the world. We know that a man is not a thing and is not to be placed at the mercy of things. We know that air and water belong to all mankind and not merely to industrialists. We know that a baby does not come into the world merely to be the instrument of someone else's profit. We know that democracy does not mean the coercion of all into a deadly and finally wicked mediocrity, but the liberty for all to aspire to be the best that is in him or that has ever been. You want to write down everything and just read it every day. It's really inspiring for for any context. And the other thing, and then I started reading his poems today. Yeah, which just blew my mind. Such like tenderness and sensuality in a lot of them. Mm -hmm. There's a beautiful one actually. That's quite fun and quite camp, um, called "The Sporting Club de Monte Carlo" for Lena Mm Horn. Again, someone that was in the jazz world and hugely instrumental in in the civil rights movement you know like Lena Horne would go and perform you know when soldiers were still hugely segregated she would actively go and perform for the black soldiers like and and not get paid for it you know she'd be booked as the entertainer for the white soldiers but would demand that she would go and perform I remember my granddad telling me about that but um this was James Waldron's poem for Lena Horne the lady is a tramp A camp, a lamp. The lady is a sight, a might, a light. The lady devastated, an alley or two, reverberated through the valley, which leads me to me and you. The lady is the apple of God's eye. He's cool enough about it, but he tends to strut a little when she passes by. Oh, The lady is a wonder, daughter of the thunder, smashing cages, legislating rages with the voice of ages, singing us through. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't Berlina it? Horn.
1: And how love lovely it. if you had a friend who was able to write you a lovely poem like that. It's fucking sick. Absolute burner. There's something, um, I really love what Toni Morrison said in the eulogy to him. She said, I, a lot of it is is directed at, like she's speaking to him. She said, you knew, didn't you, how I needed your language and the mind that formed it. How strengthened I was by the certainty that came from knowing that you would never hurt me. You knew didn't you how I loved your love and you knew this then is no calamity this is jubilee our crown you said has already been bought and paid for all we have to do you said is wear it oh and i think tony you brilliant brilliant mind i always but- find it really di- like cuz you know when he moved to paris he was part of the kind of uh, kind of left bank scene of um, everyone in the world um, who had a thought in uh, you know so that people like F. Scott Fitzgerald and Hemingway and Mm. Edith Wharton and uh, Gertrude Stein and everyone's hanging out at the cafe sometimes when you we're in this position where we have this kind of wealth of information and history and we find all these amazing people and then you find out that they were all friends and it's like mesmerizing it's yeah. that like yeah. they were they they were like they all found each other which is incredible and like they were just on a tuesday afternoon they were just going to hang out and they were hanging out with like salvador Dali and hemingway yeah. and it's like it's really easy to uh kind of legendize to create these kind of um more than sexy human, myths
0: and like yeah 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 but
1: uh what I think Baldwin is amazing for was kind of living his truth in such an authentic way as to, y- y- he feels like a human in my mind. I was
0: about to say, I, I, you feel that like you can reach out and touch him? Yeah. Because yeah. he's so human. Yeah. He's not, yeah, it's like he's not sensationalised.
1: Yeah. And actually that's what he talks about because when, the the final interview um, is with Quincy Troop who who wrote, miles's autobiography with him and he was kind of his his james baldwin's brother said to quincy Troop, it if you want to interview me you should do it soon because that he he has cancer in his terminal mm. um so there's a real weight to going into that going into that mm. situation right knowing that this is probably the last time that he'll that his words will be recorded or whatever. And so it kind of starts with talking about miles. And he says that there was this, the first time they sort of met, he said, he felt this kind of real kinship with miles, you know, when you know someone before you know them. Mm. And they said that he felt that they shared this extreme vulnerability and he kind of recognized that at, they were both kind of icons um, but both very kind of fragile, vulnerable beings, and he said, "Well, Miles has it worse than me, definitely." But um, interesting kind of, and and they made choices, different choices about how they kind of dealt with that kind of legend. Um, but he said that they always had a bond, and they always had. You know, sometimes they would sit together; they didn't have to talk because they kind of they just saw each other fully. Mm. Um, and and actually, like in my mind, that the kind of like miles davis is a very kind of kind of slight kind of spindly figure and baldwin exists in that same sort of frame you know of like they're they're, they wore vulnerability yeah you know um and i i thought that was a really lovely relationship to have It's it's a lovely like connection to have with someone isn't it when you meet someone and you know that you share something even before you've got to know someone yeah um,
0: yeah, that is beautiful,
1: and I think also is is a mark of someone who shows enough of themselves that you yeah that they, that you get it you know, um yeah so I mean the I was trying to think like if someone had never read anything what would I recommend and it's basically anything mm. that he's written yeah. like there is nothing like the essays are extraordinary the novels are absolutely beautiful I I've never seen an interview or read an interview with him that isn't astonishing like yeah
0: I mean to to watch and listen to him speak yeah is quite incredible
1: yeah he is always on his A like, game there's
0: this great interview where you know the is being really fucking annoying about police brutality is like you know he's kind of saying a cop is a cop and he's like oh yeah of course like it's all very well like that that Guy in a uniform could be a well-meaning nice guy, but you think I have fucking time to figure that out before I'm dead? Do you know, and he's just so, too guttural. Yeah. like it makes fucking sense. Like yeah. it's just, but he's sitting there, gonna smoking a cigarette, being all sassy and brilliant, and it just <laughs> yeah.
1: makes you fall in love with him. Definitely, yeah. That you know, there's, a, and probably someone we should also do an episode on. But there's a there's an interview that Muhammad Ali did mm. where he's asked about why he didn't want to go and fight. Mm-hmm. vietnam um and it's a similar thing so he has this amazing actually the tone of voice there is a similarity because uh, baldwin was like a child preacher for a yeah, bit yeah 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 um which i totally get there's this amazing kind of way of kind of orating that he has um and i think muhammad ali the way he speaks is very similar there's this kind of like sing-song kind of melody yeah. to it and the r- really good pace and flow um that's like really mesmerizing Um, but an an incredibly charming and open but like uh, excuse the pun but like pulls no punches and is not going to be like bullshitted by because sometimes I feel like people like and actually the, the interview with Parkinson and George Michael is another example where you have people in the position of the interviewer trying to um kind of atone for their prejudices by sort of saying Mm -hmm. come on we are friends like Mm -hmm. it's not that bad isn't it i know like some some policemen are are bad but like not all you know and like trying to win them, there's a strange agenda that goes with it and to have someone who can just like very artfully kind of move around that and be heard is a real skill yeah like and and he does that every time every single time so yeah Anything that you find of his is going to be absolutely stunning. I think. Just anything. And all the, all the beautiful pictures of him as well. Yeah.
0: Like, well, that's why I wanted to like. I think it's a good note to to end on. Actually, is this Instagram account, the James Baldwin archive, is really, really beautiful and it has so many great pictures, like pictures of him and Nina and yeah, him and Maya Angelo and like everything. And something that they posted, I think it was on his birthday. Um says i don't know who wrote this but it was just amazing because i think it could be anyone and speak for anyone yeah we wouldn't be anywhere without you your bottomless heart your hands that fly up in rage and passion your wit and work and grace your black queer genius your outfits that shame anyone else with the courage to show up happy birthday james baldwin I hope heaven is loud with your laughter. I hope your being is satisfied. I hope you are restful and at the fullest peace. Thank you for leading us to our better selves. We love you. We are grateful for you. We wouldn't be shit without you. It's great, right? That's
1: gorgeous, isn't it? What a lovely... Well done, whoever wrote that. Well done, whoever wrote that. And that sentiment is echoed everywhere you see someone talk about him. Yeah, that's That he... Well done everyone for making sure that he existed and how lucky we are that he not only existed in the world but documented so much. Yes, of so his much life. Yeah, so much output. So much output. So much. Thank and, you. Yeah, and it's and it's easy to access and that we can still learn from it because honestly, there is nothing that he said in the fifties and sixties and seventies and eighties that isn't completely relevant today. Yes, 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 yes. So go and read, go read. some Baldwin, please. Go read. Bye. Okay, bye.